Welcome back, everybody. It's game night here at the Smooth Rules Radio Hour. I am your host, Jason Rutledge. First, a little bit of business. In case you all missed it, uh, Joe Francis, otherwise known as Art at Home Joe on his Instagram, put out a call for all of you to send in pictures of your favorite hot dog in honor of Winky Dinky Dog from our episode on Hollywood Shuffle. We are really looking forward to seeing all of your hot dogs, so please send those pics to us either through Instagram or, of course, you can always email them to autopilot at smoothrillsradiohour.com. So anyway, it is indeed game night here at the hour, and we're focusing on one of the few, if not the only, movie adaptation of a board game. It is Clue. And we've been really excited to do this one for a while now. We hope you like it as much as we do. Nathan and Katie are back to discuss this movie, among other things. And you know, we were supposed to have a special guest this time, but he didn't show up. Rumor has it, he was murdered. Tim Curry, what are we going to do? That's what we're trying to find out! We're trying to find out who killed him, and where, and with what! It's like in and out. Hmm. I guess maybe... um fixing what happened because i know my work flooded which i find hilarious because that place is great so hmm. yeah and then she sipped on a beverage right after she shared sipping that my tea. with us <laughs> yeah. hmm. sipping your tea or world domination we'll have to wait and see <laughs> what hey what, what hey uh what board game are we talking about today guys what board game it's a new board game podcast oh, yeah. We have this board game that was created by the Parker brothers, uh, Parker Stevenson and Parker Lewis, back in like... Uh, and Well, he I can't know. lose, let's be honest. You know. I forgot to write an intro for this one, too, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you have one job, so Jason. Wait, are we, I almost called you Nathan. Is it Battleship? Battleship. I'm busy. Are we talking about the Rihanna film? Surprisingly enough, there is a movie made of Connect Four that I want to get into also today. I felt that the characterizations okay. of the All red right. chips were just completely off. I mean, that's just hmm. me. Kind of like the Warren Beatty film Reds? No? Okay. It's exactly like that, yes. I'm just here to derail. So anyway, yeah. Uh, Smith Rose Already Hour, thanks for that, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill by now. So we're talking about actually Clue. <laughs> All, All in. in. Yes. <laughs> we're going to get this over with. <laughs> no, no, I enjoyed Clue. Come on. Everybody loves this movie who's seen it that I've ever met. It's us he doesn't enjoy. He enjoys the movie. Oh, it's just okay, talking to okay. us about it. Yeah, I think it's like one of <laughs> Jane Fonda's better performances. Um, anyway. Now you're thinking of Clute. Oh, God damn it. I need to see Clute. That's one of my Criterion purchases. I went the wrong way with that. Well, I don't know. You watched I didn't the wrong wa- I didn't rewatch Clute. Oh, no. <laughs> I watched Clue again. I pulled a Katie. I watched it this morning. Well, it is one that you kind of well, you, you kind of I mean. have to rewatch it because it's for some reason it's a hard movie to remember what happens. And I so yeah, I remember yeah. sitting down going, I don't remember how the ending unfolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what happens, but it's like I've seen this numerous times. And then when I first started, I was like, "How does this conclude?" And then when it happened, I was like, "Yep, that's it." The, this is yeah. not an experience that just we've had. Um, we'll go back to our old buddy Roger Ebert, who wrote in his review of this particular film. Life sometimes contains wonderful ironies. When Jagged Edge was released a few months ago, everything hinged on the identity of the killer. The movie showed the killer being unmasked, literally showed his face on the screen, and yet, because of the camera angle, some viewers were still confused. They walked out of the theater arguing about who did it, 
And now we have a movie that makes it absolutely clear that several different people were guilty, and I walked out of the theater arguing about where to have lunch. It's not a movie that sticks with you for very long, is it? And I don't know why. Well, I think even theatrically, it would be weirder because if you're only getting one of the, the possible mm. endings, then, of course, you're, it's going to be difficult to even discuss it because you don't know, unless mm. the person's in the theater with you, you don't even know which ending they're getting. This was a big deal when the movie right. came out because they made it. This was the gimmick of the whole marketing scheme was that there were three different endings. And rumors started going around that there was a bad ending and nobody wanted to go see that. So they avoided the movie completely, you know, and they also were like, do I have to go to three different theaters to see all three endings? I don't want to do that either. And they waited for home video. Home video saved this movie. And I forget what the window yeah, was between theatrical release and home video release at the time. It might have still been a couple of years. No, it was it was out on VHS that following year, 86. Was it? Um, but it was... You know, the window was like, it felt like six months before a movie at least would come to right. video. That's the very least almost, you know, sometimes it would be up to a year. Or more, yeah. But I remember we, like, our family bought like a used VHS copy at the local video store, like a, about a year after it had been on video. Wow. So, I don't remember when that, I guess that would have been 87-ish when we got it, but, but yeah. That's really where it found its audience, I think. And cable. And cable I think yeah. cable, yeah, they aired all the different endings as well. Yeah, because that's the only way I had originally seen it when I was younger was on cable and it showed mm. all three. Well, Jason was talking, we talked a little bit prior to recording a little while back, and he was saying about the ABC rule right. in the listings of which ending there was. Um, like if you lived in kind of a small area like I did, you didn't have an option. You had one theater and it was whatever, whatever ending it you was. Got, yeah. yeah. So I can't imagine it being popular in that regard where people could hop to theater to theater unless you're like in L.A. or New York or somewhere, you know, with multiple options. To be clear, they ran the little A, B or C in the ads that they're running in any particular market for that for the movie. So they left you clue, so to speak, of which ending you were going to get when you went to that theater if you knew where to look. At least they did that. Yeah. Like, I feel like if something like this was to come out now, it would be completely like, unless you knew somebody that had already mm. seen it at your theater, you probably wouldn't know what ending you were it's, getting. It is interesting that no one else has ever tried this again after, after this. So, I, <laughs> not that I remember. Granted, I not, I, I feel like there was something. no, 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 that wasn't that. Um, and definitely not mm. recently. Cause I know that there have been films where it's like, like with Psycho, when it was shown in the theater, people were not allowed in after a certain time. Right. Yeah. And things like that. But that's that's not that's yeah, the opposite that's... end, not more recent. Right. Wouldn't it be cool to have that now, though, where you have a multiplex option where you could literally have all three endings in the same theater? Maybe. And it's just a, I would it's just a gamble as to which one you get. And it would be fun Especially, for rewatchability. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing is I feel like rewatchability is more of a thing now. Mm -hmm than maybe it was back in the 80s. I'm not uh, saying like... Somewhat. I've, people, I, I think, not for everyone, but disposable income is probably more prevalent now. So to go to the theater more than once is more plausible than maybe back well, then. Well, yes. I mean, in 1985, uh, movie tickets were four bucks or five at the most, not 15, <laughs> whatever they can get yeah. to now. Plus they didn't, you know. But also in that year, there's so many options of rewatchability we were talking about mm -hmm. how glorious 85 was would you go to see clue multiple times versus 
you know, something well, else, like Back to the Future. Yeah. Well, Clue opened up against the uh, microwaved leftovers of Romancing the Stone called Jewel of the Nile, and that was about their only <laughs> competition in, as far as new releases goes at that moment. That was probably definitely to their benefit. I mean, it still didn't do well in theaters, but the fact that it wasn't up against something bigger... It came up just short of its budget. Yeah. Clue came out just shy of its own budget in its theatrical release. It's so interesting because it does have such the following yeah. now. It was kind of a shame because the Goober Peters company really needed something to work for them. It's Goober, I know. I, I'm forcing myself. I keep wanting to say Gruber, Goober but Peters. it is not Gruber. It's actually Goober. It's not the Higgin, Higgins boys and Gruber. No, it isn't. No. They were having a really terrible 1985 on um, the TV. Well, Me too. The Higgins boys and Gruber? We <laughs> no, well on the TV side of things, they had tried to launch a show called Dreams, which was this uh, sitcom spinoff of Flashdance. Got canceled after four episodes. Uh, Jamie Gertz was in it though; she played a backup singer on that show. Was Lee Ving in that? Because Lee Ving's in Flashdance. I don't know. And Clue. I just feel like Flashdance is not the thing that needs a TV follow. They also went to ended up going a million dollars over budget on a TV movie with Mr. T. Uh, it was not a Christmas dream, although, holy shit, that thing exists. No, it was the, the toughest man in the world. <laughs> toughest man in the world. No, a Christmas oh, dream wow, is something. Yeah. I mean, Mr. T and Ed Koch, the mayor of New York in the same show. It was really strange. Uh, then, Yeah, but it was my Christmas dream that particular year, uh, so I don't want to hear shit about it. Then they also tried to do a show <laughs> called Ocean Quest. Now, Ocean Quest is a show... If you love SeaQuest... Yeah, Ocean Quest was a show about a woman in a bikini on a boat. That's it. And? That's, that's the that's whole it? thing. She wasn't looking for <laughs> treasure or trying to find her long-lost father. That was the whole show. Well, why is it called Ocean? I feel like an ocean dream. Or what did you say? Ocean, ocean Quest. Ocean Quest. So what, what they oh, did was yeah. they... That alludes to it being underwater, not on so, water. So already... What they did was they... Goober Peters got a friend of theirs who ran a company called Centerpoint to invest in this show. Centerpoint guy in turn got a, an insurance company in Wisconsin called Century Insurance to kick in a bunch of money and join the glamorous world of Hollywood. They sold Ocean Quest to NBC for six episodes for $600,000 an episode. So NBC thought they were getting a bargain, which they were. Unfortunately, the show ended up costing the production company $875,000 per episode to actually produce. So it drove Centerpoint into bankruptcy. It sent the insurance company back to Wisconsin to go back to selling insurance, and they ended up having to sell the boat from the show to make up the costs. So TV was not going good. Was it designer bikinis she was I wearing? Know. I was like, going to say they should have like, sold the bikini. I really don't know. Uh, oh. On the movie side of things, it wasn't going much better. Uh, Vision Quest did not perform as it was hoped. Uh, neither did the... But it's like a Wait. huge classic now. Uh, neither did, so we neither had did The Legend of Billie Jean. Uh, head yeah. Office... Not so much. Deborah Hill. It is, and as was Clue. So by the time Clue came around, yeah. they needed a hit. Now, they survived the next year because they had the rights to Color Purple, and that helped them out of their hole. But Clue took a long time to produce. I don't know if you read up on the history of how this thing was made, but they went through writer after writer trying to get somebody to be on board with this. They tried to get Tom Stoppard, tried to get Stephen Sondheim, I think, at one time to write this thing before they got Jonathan Lynn who ended up also directing it because the original director, John Landis, had to duck out to go to make Spies Like Us. Yeah. And he also had Into the Night that same year, too. So Did he? And uh, he was on trial for a while there. That, so he's yeah. a little busy. He's a little busy. <laughs> yeah. 
wasn't that the that was about the point that they asked Eddie Murphy if he would do another movie with John Landis and Eddie Murphy said Vic Morrow has a better chance of working with John Landis than I do or something like that Ooh. vicious was that what well, was before that coming was to before America before coming to America America yeah this is after wow. trading places though and yet they worked on Beverly Hills Cop 3 they did that's six my favorite years later. One. Beverly Hills Cop 3 I think so which is the one at Wally World or whatever yeah. the amusement park no, that's Queen's National Lampoon's Vacation. What? No, there is a Beverly. No, no. There's a Beverly D'Angelo. There is a Beverly Hills cop. You might be thinking. Yes, that's Beverly correct. Dan Beverly D'Angelo. She was in National Lampoon's Vacation. Yes. No, you guys are. Thank God for Beverly D'Angelo. In an amusement park, isn't that the name of the amusement park? In in an amusement park is the name of it. Uh, isn't there a Beverly Hills cop <laughs> that takes place at an amusement park? You guys are jerks. Yes, that's the third one. Yes. What is the amusement park called? Um, not Wally World. They called it not Wally World. Yeah, because they didn't <laughs> want to get into trouble with my bad. <laughs> you guys are. <laughs> I was like, no, I know was I'm there, right here. It was Five Flags. Was there, was there I watched that a movie coming up. out that had amusement park called Definitely Not Disneyland or something like that. They couldn't <laughs> yeah. use it. Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, Katie's correct. It was called Wonder World. Wonder World. Oh, no. uh, it's very close. You're very close. I also haven't watched it in probably like 15 oh. years. So. But it's your favorite movie, you just said. I, I did not say favorite. I said my favorite Beverly Hills Cop. Oh. Those are two but totally different But he's the things. same cop, though. I think it's the only one I've seen. I don't think I've seen the first two. Well, that would be that would land so, it as a favorite, I suppose. Let me get this straight. You know? Of the so three. So by virtue of being the only one of them you saw, it's your favorite Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> <laughs> that's set also Why in an amusement so park called Not Wally World. <laughs> Listen, when you're a kid, you just watch shit. You don't really <laughs> think true. about it. Yeah. We got you I, already the the, I already read the... I said wrote and read. I already watched the other two movies you told me to watch. Which ones? For this. Uh, Death Trap and Murder by Mur Death. Katie loved Death Trap. I did not like Murder by really? Death. Really? But she also loved Murder by Death Trap. Ah. So that's weird. That would be a weird crossover. Murder by Death is probably the closest <laughs> relative to this movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But I, I feel like the humor in Clue is more successful than the humor in Murder by Death. Well, like any comedy, it gets a bit dated. Well, it's not even that. I just, there's something about Clue that the humor doesn't necessarily seem forced. Mm. Like, it's there and it's funny, whereas Murder by Death, it seemed like every other thing had to be something right. humorous. And it was just, it was like, mm. A bit overwhelming, yeah. perhaps. And he's like, but a I white also, wang? You know, that, that, yeah, that's funny. Also, that whole character in general, a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu? <laughs> you might love that one, too. No. Uh, <laughs> if you yeah. Well, the Eileen Brennan connection is really the linkage mm -hmm. there. Because she, she was in Murder by Murder Death. By Death yeah. and, and it's mm -hmm. sort of follow-up the chief detective, also Neil Simon. Um, so, yeah. And Peter Falk. Yeah. Yeah. The cast was great. Like, I, I really liked Maggie Smith in it. Yeah, David Niven. Yeah, it's got mm -hmm. a great... James Coco, who I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he's great Maggie in that. Smith and David Niven were also in pretty much every Agatha Christie adaptation that was done in the 1970s yeah. also. Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, I think. That may have been that part was, of the uh, joke there. That was the fun sure. of that movie. It was poking fun at that trend at the time of the whodunit, mm -hmm. you know, especially with the Agatha Christie revival yeah and it's definitely interesting to see like 
the lineage of the comedic whodunit. Not that Death Trap really is comedic, but like watching Murder by Death and then Clue and then like Knives Out that came out a couple mm. years ago. Like you can see where it all definitely stems sure. from. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a niche subgenre that you don't, with like Knives Out, you don't see those movies anymore. So, mm -hmm. And I think that's why that garnered the popularity that it did. Yeah. Because a lot of people do hold that subgenre in such a high regard that when you get something that pays tribute and homage to the later films, it, it, it There succeeds. is a big difference here, though. With Knives Out and assumedly with Clue, you are, the audience is supposed to be able to figure out the mystery. It's sort of built into the whole notion of b building a movie off of a board game is that you have that level of audience participation. With Murder by Death, there's no way. You go into that knowing there's no way that this is, it is what it is. Clue yeah. gives you the idea or gave audiences the idea that they were supposed to be able to figure this out, but how could you when there's three different endings? So where's the, where's the audience buy-in there? That was one of the things that always, always bugged me about it. Not that I don't like Clue. I, I really, I like the movie, but it seems like a, a weird little built-in flaw that they could never get around. I mean, how do you write a movie with three different endings anyway and have it make sense? That's why I was saying, yeah, you could really conceivably have three different scripts. Sure. But then you would have to three shoot all three movies too. And then yeah. like that, that's something I, every time I watch this, I love the movie, but I always go back and wonder, I'm not, I'm not buying into everything. Like, I mean, I'm buying into it as much as possible, but I'm not examining every notion mm. of what happens and where, and I'm wondering if there's like a hardcore analysis of this movie to where each ending doesn't necessarily pan out as conveniently as they say, mm -hmm. if you watch the first, yeah, like they're saying, this is when it happens, it, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily play out that way. Right. Like he sums it up at the end, but does it really play out that way? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you go back and watch those scenes or the characters who each of those endings are saying weren't in the room, are they actually not in the scene mm -hmm. and things like that? Yeah. Because I never thought about it being three individual scripts. I always thought about it, it being the same film up until the break happens right. where it goes the three different ways. But now it does make me wonder, are those scenes... How do you make it work? Yeah. Huh. Because for the films, yeah, like for showing it in the theater, it would make sense to have three totally separate films where this character isn't in those scenes. But in the one where it shows all three endings together, you can't necessarily do that scene with the character missing unless you do right. all the characters that those endings are alluding to aren't in if the I, shot. Yeah, you'd have to have alternate <laughs> takes of every scene, essentially. If, if, yeah. If I understand yeah. the way it was put together correctly, the break occurs when Tim Curry shuts the lights off in the demonstration, right. and that's where the, mm -hmm. the next ending is slotted in. Right, but if you, like Nathan was saying, like, if you know those endings, because clearly none of us remember it until we sit down <laughs> yeah. and watch it. If you see the room, like when they're all in the study and he's like, oh, well, clearly Miss Peacock wasn't here at that time or blah, 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 wasn't here at that time. In those scenes, are those characters right. missing to further that ending being a possibility? This is why to me, the first ending is the only one that makes any sense. The, the other two just seem really just tacked on. I like yeah. the third one. The third one's my favorite ending. Nathan, do you have a preference or? <laughs> I like I mean I think in between I, I think it's the work. first or the three mm -hmm. like the second one 
I just watched it. I don't even remember how the second one plays out. How, how do That's we how not remember this movie at all? <laughs> the first one is Miss Scarlet. The second one is Miss White. And the third one is the one guy's an FBI agent and the rest of them. All yeah, did Michael McKean's yeah. character. Yeah. He's in league with uh, Dr. Johnny Fever in that last ending. Yes. Well, they were hot off of This is Final Tap, mm -hmm. so why not? That's something I wanted to... There's so many connections in this movie. Yeah. Like actors working together or particularly like, well, you get Howard Hessman and Michael McKeon just did, uh, this is Spinal Tap the previous year. Mm -hmm. Howard Hessman has like a cameo pretty much, but it's such a great scene in, in Spinal Tap. He's uncredited here, which is weird, by the way. I noticed that, yeah. And he's also in Police Academy 2, their first assignment that same year mm -hmm. with Colleen Camp. They don't have any scenes together, but Colleen Camp has the most connections. Like she's like with, mm -hmm. or like her brother is in the movie as one of the cops, Don Camp, and he's only ever worked on movies that she's done, like Valley Girl or um, uh, Love and the Midnight Auto. Swinging Cheerleaders was he in Swinging Cheerleaders? That's a hell of a title. Yeah, no, he's not. No, oh. maybe uncredited, maybe. But, but yeah. So she's she's did Daryl with Michael McKean that same mm -hmm. year. Remember that one? No. I don't. <laughs> the, the robotic kid that used to play on oh, HBO like God, all the time. Yeah. So now, okay. The kid from the never ending story. Yeah, when I yeah. say that I remember it, I remember that there was such a movie like that, but I don't remember anything about it other than it existed. So I don't know. Yeah. If I understand correctly, also, um, Carrie Fisher was supposed to be in Clue, but had to. Ooh. A lot of people were supposed to But had to duck to out to go into in rehab. It. And Eileen Brennan was coming Aww. out of rehab. So they got her to do it instead. It like wow. A, I would have thought Eileen Brennan would have been like a first choice just based off of murder by death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no, I, I think once wow. they got a couple of people in the cast, everybody else started signing on because they just wanted to work with these people. And from everything I, I've ever read, yeah. the cast had an absolute blast making this thing. Oh, I imagine. It looks like it. Like it, it's one of those movies where it's like it's easy to believe that this was mm -hmm. a good time on set. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just the, the back to the connections is they, a lot of them worked together before. So it was almost yeah. like hanging out with friends. Yeah, you, get, you get to do a scene. Um, Colleen Camp. You get to do scenes where you make out with a dead body. It's a, yeah, tons of fun. <laughs> that's the best with Eileen Brennan behind oh, the, the curtain with the, with the arm. It's <laughs> my favorite moment probably. No, there's too many favorite moments. There's a lot of good ones. That's I mean, such a good visual. The movie does seem to take a, take its time getting into gear, but yeah, once it, once it really gets going, it, it's fantastic. No, I think it goes right right off the spot yeah. with the whole stepping in dog shit running joke. Yeah. It's just, yeah, with the sniff sniff every time. Yeah, it definitely, um, it isn't, It once it's there, it's there. Like, for being only 94 minutes, like, it's not a long, it's a no, good time. No, they could have gone two hours they, with yeah. it, probably. Yeah. I think had they done that and put filler in, it wouldn't have been oh, yeah. that good of a watch. But it definitely fills out its time well, and... Doesn't overstay its welcome. There's a lot of shouting, too, in this movie. That's... A lot of people shouting their lines. It must have just been <laughs> horrendous. And poor Tim Curry. Yeah. I mean, if anybody listening to this is not familiar with Tim Curry, well, shame on you. The yes. guy practically <laughs> picks this movie up and carries it on his back for the last half an hour. It looks mm -hmm. exhausting. Oh, yeah. I'd ima I, Like, when you're watching it, you feel as if this is, like, a Broadway performance. Yeah. Like, he's done oh, this definitely. night after night after night. Certainly he's going through the motions with the yeah. whole takes 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 but yeah, yeah. It, it's a reverse performance man 
watching this again this morning again so I could remember what happened in the movie. And I'm looking at this like <laughs> this guy had to probably spend two weeks of shooting time running around in this mansion soaking wet because he had just doused himself in the shower in he the scene the before. Mm -hmm. And it, he had oh, to have yeah. been hospitalized after that. It's just. <laughs> well, don't forget, this is like the same year that he did uh, Legend. Was it? And also, he did a movie for London Weekend Television called Blue Money, which is a fun little flick. Mm. Not a lot of people mm -hmm. know that one. It's a TV movie. But so Legend alone, I mean, that was a tumultuous production based off of yeah. like the the fire that happened on set and, you know, all, all that stuff. And what he went through, like when you watch Legend, it's cringe inducing watching his performance, just knowing what he's going through. <laughs> yeah. So to watch that in Clue, holy mm. shit, man. I mean... He doesn't get enough credit as an actor. He really doesn't. Everybody loves he doesn't. him. He's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it, the the yeah. Just and he the almost steals the show in everything he's in. Oh yeah, absolutely. The timing yeah. is perfect. Him and Martin Mull together are part probably part of my favorite things in this movie because the dialogue they have between each other. Is there anybody left in the house? Yes or no? That whole bit. Yes. All right, look. Pay attention, everybody. Wadsworth, am I right in thinking there is nobody else in this house? No. Then there is someone else in this house. No, sorry. I said no meaning yes. No meaning yes? Look, I want a straight answer. Is there someone else or isn't there yes or no? Um, no. No, there is or no, there isn't? Yes. Please! Don't you think we should get that man out of the house before he finds out what's been going on here? Yeah. How can we throw him outside in this weather? If we let him stay in the house, he may get suspicious. If we throw him out, he may get even more suspicious. If I were him, I'd be suspicious already. Oh, who cares? That guy doesn't matter. Let him stay locked up for another half an hour. The police will be here by then, and there are two dead bodies in the study. Shh. Well, there is still some confusion as to whether or not there's anybody else in this house. I told you there isn't. There isn't any confusion or there isn't anybody else. Either. Or both. Just give me a clear answer. Certainly. <clears throat> what was the question? Is there anybody else in the house? No! no! <laughs> it was a, it was a, uh, reminded me a lot of what the Marx Brothers used to do. You know, before they yeah. all died and stopped making movies. Very snappy dialogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before the, well, no, yeah. The best movies are the ones at Paramount, mm. but yeah. The most memorable exchanges are in those films. But, um, duck soup always one of my yeah favorites. it's very uh yeah yeah it's very um horse feathers mm -hmm. in that scene yes. kind of when the whole swordfish <laughs> password thing it's Groucho and chico together yeah. you know uh but yeah that whole movie obviously the people behind this were heavily inspired by the marx brothers they had to be because i think that's a good thing you mentioned i didn't even think about that but a lot of that goes into i think curry's performance just dealing with the manic situation he's not trying to ape any of the marx brothers but it's just it's within that realm yeah of exhausting comedy mm -hmm. you know mole and curry hadn't worked together before which is kind of stunning as far as i could tell but mole worked with eileen brennan on fm mm -hmm. and then who did see i got a lot of more i don't think leslie here. and you ready for connections and warren had worked with many of these people before unless they were in victor victoria She'd just no. done that in uh, Treasure of the Yankees Zephyr. Oh, yeah. Brian Trenchard-Smith. So she had, uh, I'm trying to think if she worked. Yeah, she didn't. Uh, let's see, Bill Henderson and Lee Ving were also in Get Crazy mm -hmm. a couple years prior. 
whom else? You could cut this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Martin Mull did work with Tim Curry, but not prior to this. He came back and did that TV series that he had in the late 90s, Over the Top, not based on Lincoln Hawk, but it was the TV series that he and Annie Potts had done, Tim Curry and Annie Potts. It only lasted like Ooh, one season. Okay. Mole appeared in one episode, so that's kind of cool. Hmm. So obviously they probably had a connection. I mean, Mole was in every TV series at some point, it seems like. I mean, he was heavy on Roseanne mm -hmm. at that point, the show, not, not the actual mm -hmm. person. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, certainly not his character, wouldn't he? But, uh, no. <laughs> let's see, who else? Uh, Camp and Lloyd had just done The Joy of Sex with Martha Coolidge at Paramount the year mm -hmm. before, which was originally going to be a National Lampoon film, but that fell apart for some reason, and they took their name off of it. A lot of things were falling apart supposed to be based at the time, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was supposed to be based on the book, in the sense that Woody Allen's film was supposed to be based on everything you always that, wanted yeah. to know about sex, but it became more of a teenage coming-to-age sex comedy, and that's all it was, really. Hmm. So it's got all that fun factor, just watching it, knowing who's worked before together and they're all pros and it's so much fun to watch them interact. Mm -hmm. And typically it's easy to tell when people have that rapport with each other. Like it comes across in like you have your professional actor, but I feel like you can tell when people have worked together before or if they're friends or things outside of the films that they're in. If yeah. that makes sense. I feel like I said that correctly. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Definitely. And how strange and doesn't seem like a chore. This at must all. have been a really interesting sell to get people on board, because you're telling them, "Let me get something straight. We're going to make a movie based on a 35 year old board game." Well, they had to get on board game. Mm. <laughs> no. All right, I feel like I'm getting penalized. Nah. Okay. Well, at this point, was Landis already oh, established? Yeah. Like working oh, with yeah. him, was it mm -hmm. okay? This is yeah, where my knowledge done, of things coming out, I don't know. Kentucky Fried so. Movie, Animal House, okay. American Werewolf, Blues Brothers, so Trading could, Places. I keep forgetting American Werewolf is early 80s and not late 80s. Yeah. Could that have helped with people attaching themselves to the movie? I don't think so. I mean, they knew he had been previously attached to the project as director. Mm -hmm. The writing process went on for so long he had to duck out. So by the time they were casting people, I don't yeah, think he was involved yeah, yeah. anymore. Uh, the director that they did get, Jonathan Lynn, was mostly known for doing British television. I think he did a lot of episodes of Yes yeah. Minister. Yeah, he did. Later went on to direct Nuns he on did, the Run. Uh, My Cousin Vinny. Yes. Cousin the whole nine yards. Eric yeah. Now, Jonathan Lynn described it as a lot of people being very enthusiastic about the project, but he later came to believe that it was just the mountains of cocaine they were all doing at the time also. May have had something to do with it. I think that helps anything. <laughs> it goes to the old coke budget. Yeah story okay <laughs> no dennis quaid was not involved in clue <laughs> <laughs> he very well could have been jonathan lynn was this was his first movie as a director it though it wasn't is it? yes first screenplay like film he'd only done television right. up to that point or polish he wasn't even their first choice yeah. for any of that he was their third choice for writer and i think fifth fourth or fifth choice for director he just kind of landed this by default hmm. it makes you wonder if he was if he was hired as a writer and then they just put him in the directorial role yep. out of necessity, maybe, I, with the I whole Landis fallout. I think it was that. They were running out of time okay. to get this thing done and thought, hey, this guy did a show with a lot of people in it. Our movie has a lot of people in it. Done. <laughs> this will work out great. Yeah. It's sad that it didn't do well. Like, mm -hmm. I get it, but 
It's so weird to me when films don't do well in the theater and then later they become like these highly regarded things. Like I know it's a cult mm-hmm. classic, like it's not, but it's still, I think, has garnered way more popularity after the film. And there's also movies that do spectacularly well in theaters and then get completely forgotten. I'm Yeah. There's best picture winners that are forgotten, you know, like Yeah. I'm just genuinely curious how uh I want to make sure I get her name right. Yeah, Deborah Hill. How did she get attached to it as a producer? Deborah Hill had a long history with John Peters and Carpenter as well. I think John Peters was uncredited story writer on Eyes of Laura Mars back in the day. They they ran in the same circles. They knew each other. Yeah, forgot about that because Carpenter wrote that. Yeah, and she, trying to think, the only other movie she had done outside of her films with carpenter which were the the halloween trilogy and then escape from new york and the fog and And she worked well she met him on a solemn precinct 13 but she wasn't a producer or writer Mm -hmm. on that and Um, she did the dead zone yeah that was the dead zone Mm -hmm. was the previous film so like she had done that and i guess maybe head office was right before clue i'm not sure nope after clue but I don't know, production-wise. Yeah, true, like, true, true. Like, release-wise, maybe, but yeah. It just seems so out of what she had worked on prior to that. Because she did a lot of horror, and then, of course, most of what she did was with mm-hmm. Carpenter. So, like, some of his genres don't necessarily line up with horror. Because I wouldn't consider Escape from New York a horror movie. But it just seems odd to There's go that from Elvis movie. Don't forget working... the Elvis movie in yeah. so much horror and then do clue <laughs> yeah but i think even with carpenter like some of his films are ensemble based especially the fog and escape from new york i think mm-hmm. are very ensemble driven i would throw in there too well she didn't work on the oh. thing though did she no i don't think she did well not in a producing capacity because i only have her oh, producing okay. credits open right now sorry i derailed it no hey i always do that <laughs> It's usually Jean-Claude Van Damme driven yeah. or something. Or Jaws yeah. 3. What? Three. You yeah, said three. the words. Never. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't talked about Star Trek in a while, Jason, so I'm She's just, the, you know, bringing it full circle. She brought that up. I didn't, we didn't bring this. There we go. I there got is, it, guys. There is a Star Trek connection because Jane Weedland's oh. in this, and she right after she did this, she did Star Trek for The Voyage Home. She had a brief career in film, like, just doing cameos, it mm-hmm. seemed like, you know. Lee Ving I mean, had a great career in film. Career. He, if I remember correctly, Lee Ving got himself an agent when he was with Fear. They were still performing, and he knew that this wasn't going to hold up forever, so he got himself a casting agent and wanted to get into films right away. He thought ahead. Yeah, he was thinking ahead. Well, it worked. He did quite a few classics oh, in Streets the 80s. of Fire, Flashdance. Was he in the series later on that only lasted four episodes? Black Moon Rising also. Yeah. I don't know what any of this The is. wildlife, which is meh, mm. but it's it's kind of fun. <laughs> and I love Get Crazy, I mentioned. He's amazing in that. Basically playing himself from fear mm-hmm. almost, you know. But uh, I think he also, he's one of the voices in American Pop also, taking it back to Ralph Bakshi. I thought you were going to say American Pie. He's also in American Pie. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's weird. He was the first choice. For the foreign exchange student <laughs> who's a woman he's like i don't want to be associated with anything with don mclean type titles you know i'm from furio mm. it still Fario. feels a bit weird to see him in clue knowing what i know about him is this this is, is a movie targeted toward baby boomers without a doubt not to me so 
to have leaving in there just seemed like kind of a curveball. But like for I don't know who he is, so it mm-hmm. didn't affect my viewing of the film. Like even to now, I could not tell you anything you guys just <sighs> talked about. I don't know what fear is. I don't know any of that. Well, to not know fear is probably a good thing, mm-hmm. Katie. Oh, okay. Then I won't put it on my list. <laughs> no, I mean, just going through life without fear is yeah. wonderful. Oh, you mean the band. the band. I'm sorry. Yes. His birthday's coming up. I can tell you that he loves living in the city. <laughs> I can tell you that much. The thing is, he... um. So, I'm going to assume by what you're saying, is he is is he a smarmy dude in real life? Like, no, I don't think so. Is he not so. a... a... Oh, well, the way you were, like, knowing just, what I knew about him, well, it just led not, me to believe, like, I, I get what he's saying. Actor. Like, he, well, no, I mean, he was popular at the time, but to see him in this amongst that cast is a little weird, mm-hmm. perhaps. It's like, Maybe we have all of these his favorite band. famous comedians from the 1970s and on, on into the 80s, and let's throw in this guy from an 80s punk band just to do it. It seemed, it felt weird. It and felt go. a little weird, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about what the backstory was behind that casting. I don't really know. Unless he was just the go-to guy for the production company to plug into whatever slots they needed and plugged into. Right place, right time. Not sure. And he has a very short role in the film, and half of it's Dead. like dubbed, like looped. Is, is it? Yeah. Why did like, I And it almost doesn't even sound well, like it's, it's his like vocals. Redoing a, yeah. I'm not sure, yeah. But I, no, I don't notice that with any other characters in the film. Maybe, maybe I'm... Maybe it is there in other scenes, but it just seems odd that he's on screen for that short amount of time, mm-hmm. and they had to loop like half his dialogue. It seems. Hmm. I don't know why I didn't why I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's like there's a scene where he's like going toward the door, and he turns back to talk to the group, and it's just very eighty yard. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hmm, okay. Which you accept it, but you're like, but wait a minute, that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is is odd. His, his on-screen time. But this had to be a bitch of a movie to put together in the editing, don't you think? Uh, yeah. We were talking about the, so. like, the potential lead-ups to every... I would imagine getting that particular cast to stick to the script and not ad-lib must have been difficult also. Well, that oh, whole yeah. one thing is ad-libbed mm-hmm. with uh, Madeline Kahn's character, and it's like one of the more quoted things from the film. When you're doing a murder mystery, you don't want people just making up dialogue left and right, though. Because <laughs> that can throw shit off. Yeah, pretty continuities quick. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's I just imagine like the like the producer notes or I wonder if this went through test screenings. Like that's an interesting notion. Of course, it probably did go through test screenings. Maybe. But was this the? How do you how do you sell that? Did they know from the beginning? Like maybe they. I mean, obviously they knew they're going to do multiple endings because it's based on the board mm-hmm. game, but. Well, there's so many movies now that with test screenings end up with alternate endings because yeah. the original endings didn't uh, view properly. I wonder if that's maybe why we got the third ending where it, it's more like wrapped up and succinct. I I don't know if they would have done all three different endings in test screening. No, I wouldn't think so. But I don't know. It's hard to tell with these guys sometimes. Like you would confuse the hell out of the audience and you got to be very careful with those types of mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, to go, here's three different possible scenarios. <laughs> Just go with it. Like I feel like test screening audiences are the worst people to test screen films. Because they never seem... You never hear, oh, well, it was received... Like, usually when there is a huge change in a film because of test... It didn't screen mm-hmm. well. 
for test audiences, it's always, it just, like, why are they there? <laughs> like, right. screen it with people that you know would have maybe a better reaction to it. I don't know. Or, but maybe that's why they I mean, do it. I've also heard stories yeah, of test screenings think... where they said the audience laughed all the way through the movie, and then we got the cards back, and they all said, your movie sucks. <laughs> what do you, what yeah, do, you do with this? Yeah, it just makes no sense to me. <laughs> why, do we, why do we still have the this one process? I think of... The one I think of recently that got changed was evidently the ending for Hereditary was supposed to be different and it didn't do well with test screening. So they changed mm -hmm. it to what it was. And most people have an issue with the ending now. So I can't imagine what it was prior to I that. Know. I was thinking of Dodgeball. So it just. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a thing. Dodgeball well, I... had the had I an incredibly like bleak <laughs> ending where the, they lose the game at the end. And that's it. Goes to credits, and the audience was just like, "What the hell are you doing?" So they had to tack what on the happy ending <laughs> to appease the test audience. And the people that made the movie were like, "This is not what we intended. This was supposed to end on this real downer note because that's how the story should go." Well, speaking of bleak endings, I just saw a thing while I was looking it up on there's supposedly a fourth ending for Clue that was too bleak. Uh, Birth Movies Death evidently did an article on it, hmm. but it's not overly um, clear on what it was. Supposedly, Wadsworth killed them all because he wanted to be perfect in everything he did, but he failed in it and his wife killed herself. So he wasn't the perfect husband and yada, yada, yada. But it was too bleak that they removed yeah, that, it. Like they never even yeah, made it. Yeah, that feels like a, a weird fit. Yeah attack onto this taking the so maybe, whole yeah. fun like, out of people the whole don't movie. like the three endings but look what it could have been you know oh okay well i do i have i have a, i have a question because i remember texting nathan after i watched death trap and i was like i'm not usually really big on whodunits mm -hmm. but then when i was watching this there's a lot of scenes of people putting the black gloves on which just <laughs> makes me think of giallo yeah. films <laughs> yeah but I love giallo films, so it's like, why do I like that, but I don't like the average whodunit when technically they're all whodunit films? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe just the approach. Well, I think it's because most of, like, Argento stuff and things like that don't have the comedic elements to it. No, Ar Argento is no. not known for and his And I'm not comedy. saying all yeah. whodunits do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying all whodunits do, but, like, with Clue and even with... um. Death by Murder and Knives Out, it, there always seems to be that comedic element mm -hmm. to it, which for me personally takes me out of it. I don't like that. I mean, I love Clue, but I feel like also I have the nostalgia for Clue on my side because I did watch it when mm -hmm. I was a kid. And yeah. maybe had I watched it now, I wouldn't. But it's still not like there's a difference between something being comedic and something having comedic moments in okay. it. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm not it's, huge it's the, on comedy, but I like things that have comedic elements to it. Yeah. I know that's, that's very, like, hair-splitting, well, but well, who, I don't know. Well, whodunit is really the subgenre here, but this one, and I don't, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way, but it just reminds me of William Castle's House on Haunted Hill more than anything. Oh, oh yeah. The whole strangers meeting at they the house. They get the letters, and then they have to go to the house, yes. and you watch them all drive up. Very much so. I was yeah. thinking that when I watched this too. No, I, I did and not make just, that connection, but yeah, now that she's mentioned it. Yeah, because like in the 80s, there was like this mini trend of bringing back like, not necessarily whodunits, but like the spooky horror or just scary, because you go to that, this movie with John Morris' score, 
being, you know, one of Mel Brooks' favorite composers, by the way. It just re- takes me back to, like, Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. when you see, like, mm-hmm. the the house and the thunder and lightning and all that. And it's you could go either way. It could be a murder mystery or a scary comedy, either way. Well, Clue was also riding a wave of boomer nostalgia exploitation that was inescapable by the time 85 rolled around because we were about to get Dirty Dancing. I had Stand By Me. Mostly movies made to sell soundtracks, you could argue. Not so much Clue. But they were remaking every one of the Baby Boomer TV shows into movies, apparently, because we got Car 54, Where Are You, Dragnet, uh, eventually The Addams Family. Car 54 was the early 90s, though, but yeah. You know what I mean? It was this overall cycle of this stuff. And you you were thinking, have they really run out of ideas and are just mining old TV shows to come up with movies, or is there something else going on? Eventually, they ran out of TV shows to adapt and made a board game. Well, that's also interesting note, too, is like, is this the first? Well, usually I would associate with like remakes, you say, of like booby, baby boomer type stuff where booby. we go. I did. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Sorry. But you know how we everything would adapt like Dragnet's a really great example mm. where we take something that's not inherently comedic, but we make it comedic. Mm. And then years later, Starsky and Hutch and you know, right. Chips and all this other bullshit. But um, it, I'm trying to think, is there anything before Clue that's based on a prior property that is turned into a comedy? Hmm. Like, it's not a remake of uh, anything. No, it's just no. based on something. Yeah. And it's definitely the, the first one to be based on a board game. It is. And, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty safe thing to adapt when you think about it, because there really is no way you can screw that up. You can't mischaracterize. And they yeah. did a great job you, with it. I mean, it's a board game. Yeah, you can't game. take the character <laughs> of Colonel Mustard and get the character wrong. It's a card. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they stuck with everything visually and then just expounded upon that. I mean, with, with Battleship, yeah. all it has in common with the game is that it's called Battleship. Battleship. That's it. You know they're making a Tetris movie. I've also heard a Risk movie mm. maybe in the works, but I, who knows? Risk makes sense, though. How the hell are you going to make a Tetris film? And it's supposed to be like three or four films. And it's weird. They, yeah. made, they made a movie based on life <laughs> with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Oh, wait, that's different. Never mind. That's a serial movie. <laughs> oh, okay. That could well, go. Well, got speaking of serial movie, Martin <laughs> Mole was in a movie called Serial. Um, I love Tetris, but I'm not watching that Tetris movie. I'm not either, damn it. <laughs> I draw the line at that. Give me a Dr. Mario well, I'll remind you of something Michael McKean said about Clue. There's a very good movie called The Setup, Robert Wise Boxing Picture, which is based on a poem that's barely one page long about a boxing match, he says. You could make a good movie or a shitty one based on anything. And he's right. So where does he stand on it? What is he, was he in response to criticism at the time when he said that? Or how, when is I think that? It was, I don't think it was a criticism of Clue. It was just came up in an interview talking about Clue. I don't, I don't remember any of the cast being one way or the other about the movie, really. No, I'm just wondering if it was like a if somebody interviewed him ten years later or at some premiere or something. Oh, and, that could yeah, be. But, but yeah, no, he's right. I mean, how do you screw that up except Battleship? But well, were people really going into <laughs> Battleship and being all disappointed because it didn't more closely resemble the board game? Well, I think everybody's confusion with that is, like, why not just make a boat movie? Why have it have anything to do with the board game? There was talk at the time also, remember, that uh, someone had licensed the Atari games Asteroids and Space Invaders 
for adaptation too. And I'm thinking, why bother? But was that for that dumb movie? Why bother? Do- Pixel me or whatever. Oh, the ad- Pixel uh, me, um, Pixel you. It's pixeled something. <laughs> but there's a lot of video games. I think you're thinking of pixels with like, the uh, Adam Sandler movie. Oh, oh, why pixels. are you thinking I don't of that? Know what oh I my goodness. Was... Well, because they would have had to license sure. those properties for that, even though it's not necessarily a an Atari centric yeah. game, they would have had to license that. I think that what he's saying is all potential to turn to... into a movie, maybe on if its own. If you've seen the Atari well, game maybe. Asteroids, you're thinking, why are you bothering to license the name? Just make a movie about asteroids and it's the same. Who, That's my who cares? Yeah. Or like all these, this, the remake stuff and all that. When you want to remake something mm-hmm. and then you slap that title on it because you're hoping it'll get people in the seats when it has nothing to do with the original, when you could have just made your own film, call it something different, but then you risk being told that you're ripping this up. Like you can't win yeah. either way. Yeah. Oh, this weird, you can't. <laughs> so why, yeah, why, I agree. That's why I, I don't, watch a lot of the like the remakes and stuff because there's yeah but you also don't sit there and condemn the people for making it you go this isn't for me and then you leave it or at least i think well, you do i, I you know wrong. i but i've been i have a list of people i'm willing to condemn over it but i've not i'm not pursued it <laughs> do you call it your fools to pity list by any chance it's actually well, my fool, fool go, to oh, cry list <laughs> and it's not fair because mick jagger's on there and i love him so uh never mind but you also don't sit there and claim all these people ruin your childhood either if they remake something mm, from Only your on the message boards. No. <laughs> only on the message boards? The IMDb message boards? Remember oh, when yeah. those were things? Yeah. Well, that's pretty Ooh, much why yeah. they died away because everybody was bullying each other over stupid shit. Because you were on their shit. bitching? <laughs> it was toxic. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my whole thing was when I, I used to be on there, but my whole point was to either educate or irritate, like having fun with people, like, you know, trolling them, so, so to speak. But if before trolling be, was but thing. it was if they were being idiots you know like uh, hmm. but but yeah people i mean actors had pages and people would just go this dude's ugly why yeah. does he have a career and there'd be yes. a whole spread on that <laughs> shit and you're like what who are yeah. you but the thing is is now that is yeah. what twitter is like film twitter has become the most toxic ridiculous thing in the world and it's just people tagging creators and shit and yeah. it's like, just leave people yeah. alone. And it's all like, pretentious bullshit. It's my guy. Uh, my God's better mm-hmm. than your God. And, you know, his film sucks. Mm-hmm. This film's better. You can't compare films like that. Or artists, mm-hmm. really. other Unless they're deliberately banking off of a legacy of someone else. But, yeah, which we see a lot of that today. But, you know, whatever. Just don't bother with yeah. it then, you know? Not like adaptations or remakes are a new thing. No, but it's it's but... never been this convoluted to where... It's mm. no one wants to take risks anymore at all. And yeah. that it's just like bankability yeah, on a brand name. Yeah, there's not a lot of name. new ideas. Yeah. It's just, yeah. What video game series can we turn into movies? What book series can we turn into? Yeah, it's a lot of the same rehash. We talked about because, this yeah, before. We've lost the, yeah, we've lost the mid-budget movie. It's either 10 million or less or 100 million or more and nothing in between those spots. No one's going to make a $50 million movie just for the hell of it anymore. It has to be either gigantic or small enough to where it's not going to be a problem if it fails. But the sad part is, is, and going back to Clue, they took a risk Mm -hmm. and they barely made another board game. (laughs) They barely took, wait, they barely made what they put into it. Right. Because they did something different. So it's like, in some ways, if you 
If your career's riding on it, I don't necessarily condemn people for doing the comfortable thing, which is sad. Yeah. Mm. And then like, you have uh, the people behind these decisions aren't necessarily the creative types or the producers or the people that bought this mm -hmm. license and or they have the sequel rights or the remake rights. And mm -hmm. look at, okay, I'm not going to watch the Tom and Jerry movie. That looks like total crap. Oh, I've heard it is god awful. But that's, there's a good director attached to it, Tim Story. And it's probably... Mm the only he, game in town for him he probably didn't you know? even get to make what he wanted yeah, does either. he really want to make like, like a meaningful time like, but you know what i mean like <laughs> well no but still like you have your studios though that if you know this studio is attached to it chances are they're the ones calling the shot that's why we get movies that are cookie yeah. cutters they're basically mm -hmm. the same thing even though they're different stories and that's why so many people like to go work with netflix now because netflix is like here's your money make your yeah. movie like, they're not over their shoulder. Sort of. Better than most studios, though, is what I'm getting at. I'm not saying that they're completely dipping they're out the of the alternative picture, to the game. But, yeah. Yeah. Where you actually are making maybe what you want to make instead of what Warner Brothers is telling you to make or what hmm. whomever else is telling you to well, make. First of all, the Tom and Jerry movie, I don't think, has Speedy Gonzalez in it. So that's a no-go right there. <laughs> And also, well, he well, that's the whole kerfuffle on the Internet right now. The more I've read about how things got made and the decisions that producers made, the less I understand about their thought process. Sometimes it there isn't like any such a crapshoot. It's just dollar signs. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no it's it's almost like there's a lack of heart anymore. I mean, especially with a company like Goober Peters. I mean, signs. you look at the stuff that they were doing. You can't like giggle every time I say Goober. <laughs> Come on. And then I giggle because well, she it, giggles. Mixed with Peters, <laughs> Goober Peters just said, like, was this a person's real name? Guys is, yeah, John Peters, Peter oh, John okay, Peters. Oh, okay, that makes me feel a little better. They produce... That they makes prefer, me feel a little you know, better. the Tim Burton Batman film, they produced that, so... And Clan of the Cave Bear, which was an attempt to cash in on Quest for Fire. That was 85 that, as well. That didn't go anywhere, yeah. So, especially with something like Clue, you're reading about how they put this together, and it's just like insanity like how did they come up with the idea who sold them on it it just seemed to come out of nowhere and how they decided to do it is a complete mystery to me it, it doesn't make any sense do you think and you may know the answer to this do you think they wrote a murder mystery film and then to be able to get the backing and the financing made it a clue film it was always a clue it was always going to be based on clue it was always okay okay and i was just i was just curious as far as I can tell, they got the whole thing lined up and then decided we need a writer because we don't have a script. <laughs> so then they went through several people who turned them down on it before they landed on Jonathan mm -hmm. Lynn. And then the carousel of directors went through. They were assembling a cast. It was just sort of all thrown together. And hey, here's a movie. But no, there, there was always the intention of making this movie based on Clue. Well, it was what immensely other board popular. game would you do? But that's probably the most they theatrical well. if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, because yeah. it's so much fun to play that game. And I think that may also contribute to the fact that it's a comedy mm. is that how much fun people have playing the board game on their own mm -hmm. or the VCR game, which I also had. But oh, you know, I had that, too. And the puzzle. Wow. I didn't have did the you, puzzle. Never mind. I, I did. It kind of had one of those. We had to do a magnifying glass oh, on it to find nice. the clues, I guess, Very for lack cool. of a better word. Yeah. Well, there's been talk of a long time of adapting Monopoly into a movie, but it seems in poor taste these days, I think. 
Well, that, you know, that's. I think if they were going to do it, it'd have to be Disney because they're the most monopolizing mm. studio out there. Exactly, that would be appropriate. Mm. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, it's it is interesting. How do you how do you come across this Parker Brothers board game, and think this is money in the bank as a feature? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it could very well be a good movie, but like it it takes that first stone in the water to figure out if it's going to sink to the bottom so i guess maybe mm-hmm. that's what it was maybe they didn't know because th- you're looking at such a busy year though too like mean, how do you have a it hit is. movie yeah. like that out of everything else that was going on at the time so your lifespan in theaters you just had to have that longevity that either you were robert zemeckis or sylvester stallone or you know whomever mm-hmm. or jewel of the nile no i'm kidding uh no not jewel of the nile oh, yeah. what if goober peters had adapted goobers into a movie well charles band already did a movie called goobers but anyway. movies? Did he really <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with the candy no i keep thinking there's going to be i want candy land the movie that would be cool we can put goobers in that you could make an argument that shoots and ladders was sort of adapted into layer of the white worm in a way <laughs> that it might be stretching things a little bit Nathan's on board with that. You're on board with that idea. I know it. <laughs> I love the movie. You know, now I got to watch it again with that perspective. What is it? The layers of Layer the, of the white, white worm. worm. Yeah. Yes. Ken Layer. Russell. Always a good time. Hugh Grant is in that one. Yeah. Amanda Donahoe. Hugh Grant. Well, she loves, you love Doctor Who, Katie. I so. love Hugh Grant. I do. Yep. Oh, Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. It's a trip. It's based on a book that Bram Stoker wrote when he was deeply deeply in the throes of syphilis infection so keep that in mind Uh it's bonkers but yeah shoots and ladders in it they call it something else in the movie it's like uh, snakes and something i forget i don't don't remember uh i'm curious do either of you have a favorite line in the film uh probably the joke about her husband being the illusionist (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't a good illusionist that one is good. Was a good one. I do like the whole um, ad libbed bit mm. by her talking about Yvette. Yeah, there's quite a few, but I love uh, "Wee oui, Wee oui, Madame." No, I'm just going to go powder my nose. Yeah, I was about to mention <laughs> that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one is a very you yeah, linger on that reaction shot Not gonna lie. a little bit. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I do love the part where she's serving them dinner and Christopher Lloyd just like rests his face yes. on yeah. her breasts. <laughs> like... Yes. Who killed the cook? The dinner wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> Maybe there's life after death. Life after death is improbable as sex after marriage. <laughs> and of course, Michael McKean at the end where he's like, uh, I'm going to go sleep with my wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, just like freeze yeah. frames on it. I also like that communism was just a red hair. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like love Eileen Brennan's reaction when she, he's like, her friends were socialists. She's like, <gasps> clutching the pearls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the fact that for the most part, it holds up. Because you know how some like older films you watch, you're like, I watch it because I like it, but I know some of the stuff in it is dodgy. Yeah. For the most part, this doesn't have a lot of that. Like, there's a couple scenes where you're just like, eh, like when when he's like, and I'm a homosexual, and then he sits down, and Christopher Lloyd's character's like, oh, 
like you know, but it's not That's like it's because it was set in that time period. Back. Yeah, nineteen fifty four. Yeah. But there are still some films, especially comedies from back then, where it's like you just feel dirty when you watch it yeah. now. Like you enjoy it, but you're just like, this didn't age well at oh, all. Oh, especially like, in the eighties. I mean, we were on the mm-hmm. we got into this on oh, the commando episode. Oh. Actually in the commando episode also we were talking about how Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds just give us the creeps a little bit these days. Yeah. Yeah, but I also yeah. think, like, if it's, you know, like, the scene she's talking about, if you mm-hmm. know that that's just the joke, it's also the joke of the character that he would be repulsed, right? right? So the comedy's in that. Yeah. So, like, if, if, it's, if it's... It doesn't, like, you can't be like, is this how the right, writers no, felt? No. Like, is this in there because they're misogynistic or because they're homophobic? Like, it's, like, centralized to, is it Mr. Green? Yeah. Who plays Mr. Professor Green? Professor Plum. Or in it. Which one are we talking Michael about? Michael McKean's Plum character was... is, yeah. Oh, Green. yes. No, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, who's Christopher Lloyd? Christopher Lloyd was Professor Plum. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Not that it matters. They're all using aliases, but, yeah. but you know. Yeah. And I think they were, they were, if anything, they were making fun of the time period. Really? Yeah. With, with the, uh, the, the communism mm-hmm. and the socialist yeah. thing. It's very wink, wink, uh, nudge, nudge. Yeah. I just like how, for it being a comedy, it's not ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of it is very subtle, and if you're not watching, you're going to miss it type of humor. And I think that's why Clue hits so well with me, whereas some don't, because it's like, did you get that joke? Yeah. Did you get yeah. that joke? Did you hear that joke we just said five seconds ago? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, stop. <laughs> it's kind of like Carter Wong's later films, where they're kind of, they're not ham-fisted, but they're like hard case infested. Do I hear crickets? Is it rap time? You say nap time? Yes. It's oh, you said rap time. I'm yes. sorry. It's the run out of steam <laughs> moment. Yeah. That was possibly 20, 30 minutes ago, but yeah. <laughs> That's being generous. I think we've done fairly anyway. well with this episode. Well, I'll tell Talk you what. I'm going, to run, I'm going to run this episode by a test audience and see if they're okay with the ending. <laughs> and if we have to, we'll come back and do Can another one. Can we do one. two fun. other we endings do... as well? Oh, okay. Let's do that. <laughs> Can we talk about Moontrap also? Moontrap? <laughs> is that actually Which a movie? Is... Yes. Walter Koenig. It is. Walter Koenig, yes. We could talk <laughs> about the unproduced Moontrap, too. Can we make a board game called Moontrap? We can do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to Michael's right now. Not the craft store, just some dude named Michael's that I know <laughs> that has Michael's a lot of cardboard in his, in his uh, garage. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll get to work on that. I'll say, stop it with the mouse trap. We're adapting something else. We need your cardboard. <laughs> what was that for? I don't know. Mouse trap. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not a fan of the board game? No, I thought you were talking about the movie, the Nathan Lane movie. That's Mouse Hunt. No, I shit you not. This, no, but it's funny because on a podcast I listened I to this happened because they were talking about board game movies and the person's like, they made a mousetrap movie, but they were serious. They're like, yeah, Nathan oh, Lane no. is in it. And they're like, that's Mouse oh, Hunt. No. And she was like, <gasps> like mortified that she had messed it up. <laughs> well, on that stunning piece of information, folks, I think it's time to bring this episode to a close. It's time to end. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. That's it. The episode and series three have come to a close. But no worries. We'll see you back here for series four very soon. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen to any episode of this series or any previous series through our website. 
The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com or drop us a message on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your day. This has been a Ghostcraft presentation.